All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and my uh, partner, Chen Lin, is, uh, works with me as well. Uh, my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, uh, is in partnership with Chen, and uh, he produces What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Well, Chen will be joining me in a little while to talk about a couple of his favorite picks. Uh, he has had a, tra- uh, a remarkable track record in the past, and uh, we want to hear about a couple of his favorites, which he'll tell us about later on. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel. We also uh, want to encourage you to keep sending your questions and comments around- along to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. And uh, send your comments about our uh, our guests as well. That, uh, Michael Oliver is with me, and he's going to be talking in just a minute uh, from now. Uh, let us know what you think of Mike's thoughts and uh, any of our guests. We'd like to hear from you what your thoughts are. And we don't respond very often on the radio because there just is simply not enough time but we do really enjoy the feedback that we get from you, and it is helpful. Do you want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable? Today, our sponsors are Dinosert, Inc. and Metanor Resources. I used to like, uh, I'd like to uh, just point out a couple of the things that are at J. Taylor Media right now because I think there's some very important things there. The petrodollar is definitely an essential to the survival of the American empire and to ensure that the United States remains as a lone global superpower. It must control the oil markets, hence the U.S. involvement in the oil-rich Middle East and its hostility towards Russia, which, as the world's largest oil producer, is threatening the hegemony of the United States. And uh, this is leading to a very dangerous period of, of time in our history, I believe. And so I did a special interview yesterday with Daniel McAdams in response to an article that's posted at the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. It's titled, Has Turkey Launched World War III? Well, if you're keeping up with what's going on in the Middle East, it is indeed a very serious uh, uh, period of time. A lot of very, uh, very, very serious things going on there that could spark uh, a global war. We certainly hope and pray that's not the case, but uh, certainly we want to be awake to the possibilities of of what could go wrong. Uh, and I think Daniel makes a very good uh, makes some very good points. Uh, well worth listening. So go to jtaylormedia.com. Also. Uh, an article that I wrote last week, Are We Now Witnessing Michael Oliver's Major Tectonic Shift? Uh, well, Michael uh, is going to be with me in just a minute. He is listening right now, and he'll be with me in just a minute. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, about today's show. I've titled it, Escaping Bail-Ins, 
Can BitGold become bigger and better than PayPal? Daryl McMullen, he's the CEO of BitGold and former president of PayPal Canada, visits for the first time today. Daryl, who was, uh, as I say, pay, the president of PayPal, is now the CEO of BitGold, and uh, well, he's going to be with me. We want to ask him some things that uh, that are on my mind that I want to ask him about. What are the advantages to consumers to use BitGold? Uh, as a, as opposed to say PayPal, PayPal. Uh, what services can BitGold provide as a payment system? What advantages might there be uh, over PayPal? What are the growth prospects of BitGold? And as a uh, an investor, and I do own shares of uh, the parent company, Gold Money, I want to know how fast this company can grow. It has been compared to PayPal. Does it have the potential to grow uh, like PayPal and even over? overcome PayPal? Well, that might be asking too much, but it, it is definitely a very interesting business model and some very interesting dynamics that seem to give a gold-backed currency an advantage over, a, um, uh, over fiat money. Uh, so anyway, we're looking forward to talking to Daryl McMullen for the first time. Chen Lin will be with me at, uh, after the first break to talk about a few of his favorite uh, bio- biopharmaceutical stocks, as I just noted. And he also has some very definite feelings and ideas about gold, in fact, he was sort of applauding, uh, applauding the the remarks from Goldman Sachs that Chen likes to see the gold price go lower. It gives him some time to make more money on his biopharmaceuticals, and then he hopes to load up on gold. So I guess he's sort of like to see a lower price for gold so he can buy some more. Well, that's one aspect. If some of us have been in gold for a long time, are sort of tired of lower prices of gold and would like to see something on the upside a little bit more. Well, speaking of gold, uh, like any good. A fox guarding the chicken coop in order to keep the chickens content and trusting their guardian fox uh, so that the foxes uh, can more easily uh, you know, fix their dinner. Two analysts at Goldman Sachs did indeed uh, suggest to their clients that they should short gold, head- suggesting that in the next three months, gold would be heading to 1100 and then uh, to $1,000 by next year. Those two analysts, uh, Jeffrey Curry and Max Layton, are again urging their their clients to go short. They're suggesting that systemic risks from oil, China, and negative rates are very unlikely. And they said banks have ample liquidity to maintain funding against higher capitalization. The negative macro impacts from low oil prices have likely already played out and are not systemic, while the spillovers from China are limited and the U.S. is far from a recession. Well, of course, many of the guests that I've had on this show Many of the guests, if not most of them, are not ready to buy this honky-dory story that uh, the Goldman Sachs guys are telling us. But, of course, it is highly logical, uh, a remark like that from Goldman Sachs, just realize that the foxes must keep the chickens relaxed so that they can more easily be caught for their uh, for the foxes' next dinner. So that's what I think might be going on with Goldman Sachs. But who knows for sure. I'm really happy to have Michael Oliver with me. Uh, thanks for joining me again, Michael. Oh, I'm always glad to be back. Hey, what do you think? Um, the fox is looking for an easy catch for dinner. What, what's going on here? Uh, Goldman I, Sachs is I looking for 1100. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be John Kasich on this and not say anything bad about the other folks. Uh, okay. In this case, the analysts. Um, all I can say is that MSA's work, momentum structural analysis's work, uh, had a clear-cut basing pattern for gold based on annual and quarterly momentum for quite a while, and that broke out several weeks ago as gold emerged up through the 1140s up to 1169. That was my highest breakout number. Mm-hmm. Uh, within days of that, we reached over 1260. 
It's mm-hmm. now pulled back under 1,200 intraday. It's now 1,204 last I saw. That pullback is totally within the parameters of being fine and still upside. There's no nothing negative in that. What it hit was a price chart feature that I showed in a weekend report uh, last week that showed that there is, in fact, some price chart resistance around 1260. And sure enough, the market responded to that. I think it's a temporary barrier. I think it's the sort of thing that you could call a secondary breakout once gold overcomes that level. And I think it will. Why? Uh, Because momentum already has blown that equivalent level totally out to the upside. Mm -hmm. Usually when momentum readings action of the market using monthly bars of gold price chart uh, bars measured against a three-year average or a three-quarter average, when they've broken through a similar structure ahead of price, price will usually follow suit. Uh, so I, I stand with my view is that gold has bottomed uh, the pullback here to 1200 even to 1180 wouldn't bother me in the least. And I suspect this if it congests, if you find that gold congests below that 1260 level but doesn't fall apart and just flip-flops around for the next several weeks, underneath that level, then I think what it's doing is setting up for the price chart, folks, that 1260 level as a breakout level, at which mm-hmm. point when you overcome that, I suspect these Goldman Sachs guys and a lot of people who are short are going to get hurt real fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, my objective after a breakout over that price chart level, again, momentum is what I primarily reference, and it's already positive, but once you break through that 1260 barrier that we peaked on last week, 1450 is my next target. Wow, that's a that's a resting point. That's not an end of a bull market. That's a, that's the first major leg up. Uh, is what I would call that the end of the first leg. But I think that if you can get through that twelve sixty after some due diligence, congestion, backing off, that type of thing, uh, there's a vacuum between that that level and fourteen fifty. Quite a vacuum. Meanwhile, obviously, during that same time, gold miners will do a lot better. They have done better than gold on the upside, and I continue to think that they're a better place to be in a bull trend in gold than gold itself. Well, most certainly it, uh, with oil remaining low, uh, oil prices and energy prices in general remaining low, and with lots of uh, people unemployed now in the mining sector, uh, it certainly there certainly are uh, some lower costs. I'm talking to drillers and people mm-hmm. in, in Quebec and elsewhere. Uh, one one uh, CEO was telling me yesterday in Quebec he can get his drilling cost at 50% off of where they were a couple of years back. So, yeah, I mean, that uh, looks to bode well. So I have to ask you about how's the oil look, uh, oil patch look to you now, Michael? We've seen a bottom. We're about to. You know, we're hearing talks today about Russia and Saudi Arabia coming together, perhaps not the best of friends to be sure, but maybe... Uh, looking after their own interests, they might uh, make a uh, make an agreement to try to hold some oil off the markets. So we looked at the fundamentals, but what are the technicals telling you about well, oil? Well, I, I can get bullish on oil, but I can't get bullish on it here at all. I think it's yeah. uh, the bullish situation for oil is going to present itself probably in the second quarter. But I'm not at all sure we've seen the low prior to that bullish turn. Uh, and I also hold the view, and this is, some, this is not really scientific, it's more of a gut feel. I've had it for a while. But you're not going to bottom oil until you've busted the S&P to its first major low. Okay. And we have not done that, in my view. I think that first major low in gold, I mean, the S&P is going to be well below this low 1800 nonsense, which uh, buyers continue to bid in front of and bid in front of and bid in front of. Let's see, it's like a line in the sand that a, you could draw with a crayon. Um, and I think that when that goes and the whoosh that follows on the S&P to the downside, 
at around the time the S&P makes its panic low. Let's call it in the 1600s, which is my first working target. Uh, I suspect at that point oil will make its final final low. Whether that's a, a dollar below the recent lows or, or something like that doesn't matter. But I don't think oil is going to give stocks a relief rally that sustains them. All right, so there's uh, no no hurry to get into gold uh, into oil then. But uh, I, as a uh, person who follows mining shares, it doesn't bother me at all that the gold uh, that the oil price remains low. Right. Uh, right. Energy prices remain low. It should help right. uh, help um, gold mining profits, I would think. Uh, so sixteen hundreds is your um, is your target. Any any sense of the timing on that, Michael? Uh, I think that this. Uh, I put out a report last week, uh, actually a two parter, and it, the last one was called the meeting. There's a big meeting on the 26th and 27th of this month in Shanghai. Yes. It's an urgent meeting. It has all the earmarks of panic. Uh, you can read it in the press, uh, reputable sources, Bloomberg, other uh, financial sources, quoting Japanese BOJ people, uh, European people, that uh, there's a lot of nervousness that they are in the final play. They've got to stop the markets from collapsing that have suddenly gotten out of their control, namely the developed equity markets. Also, a couple of the foreign exchange markets have gotten out of, the, out of control. The yen has gone up sharply. The euro is beginning to firm. Uh, they can't stand that because it means they don't control the events anymore. If they don't control <laughs> the events, who does? Therefore, there's a sense of panic. Now, that, what does that mean? It means for the uh, investor asset manager in the U.S., who is a believer in the CBs, hope is coming because of the big meeting. Yeah. Uh, the question is whether, one, uh, the market will hold together until then, or will it panic first to force the CBs into some kind of drastic action uh, at the end of this month, or will it sit here and wait for milk and cookies to be distributed <laughs> by the CBs after that meeting occurs and be disappointed by the milk and cookies? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. That's a short-term issue, and I'm, my short-term indicators can go either way right now. And I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm frankly a bit confused, therefore I won't make a, a forecast on that. I okay. will forecast, though, that the S&P is topped. It's a bear market now. It's going a lot lower, likely into at least 2017. Wow. Uh, any uh, any ultimate downside target, Michael, or is it too early that to say? I don't have. I think that there will be a severe test and probably a breakage back below the all-too-obvious two peaks of 2000 and 2007, both of which peaked uh, at 1550 and the other one peaked at 1570. So there's an obvious price chart level there in the mid-1500s that no doubt most price chartists will view as support. I think before you bottom, you will probably blow that level out sufficiently to where those folks are disappointed. Oh, my goodness. Gently pull back to a level that's so obvious as that. Yeah. So you I'm think we can see the lows? I can't, uh, I can't go crazy. I can't. Uh, I can't uh, okay. Okay. So you're not lows, you're, you're you're not you're not willing to say that we'll take out the lows of 2008, 2009. I've got some. I did a report a few weeks ago uh, dealing with the that issue, and it's it's an I forecast it out till 2017, and I'll give you the number now. I used the okay. Dow Industrial since it could go back to the 1900s. Okay. If in 2017 you see the Dow at 11,700 area. That's what's well below us. That would uh -huh. be equivalent, I think, to the S&P being down in the high 1300s. Uh -huh. If you see that, you're jeopardizing a century, no, excuse me, about an 80-year-old uptrend line on 10-year average momentum. And that's, a, that's a mouthful. What wow. I'm saying is there is a momentum support structure 
that comes through around that area, but it's been used and used and used. Therefore, it looks vulnerable. So if the bear market, for any reason, by 2017 can dig down back below the bin Laden high in the S&P, and that was the May of 2011 when it hit 1370 and then dropped, if you drop much below that level in the year 2017, there are big problems. Okay. I, I can't forecast that will happen. I'm just defining the number. All right. Well, we'll we'll uh, we'll just watch it day by day and week by week and year by year, I guess. So uh, we are out of time. I want to thank you again, Michael, for your insights. Okay. And uh, let me just tell my listeners, it's OliverMSA.com. Oliver, M is in Mary, S is in Sam, A is in Albert.com. Go there. Learn more about Michael's work. Uh, it's one of those letters that I can't do without. Thank you very much, Michael, for being with us again, and we'll look to do it again real soon. Well, folks, we do have to go to break. Uh, we do have to go to break now. When we come back, Chen Lin will be with me to talk about a couple of his favorite biopharmaceutical stocks, a couple of really exciting stories. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Chen Lin. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Dinosert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by 30 to 40%, increase torque, and provide up to 15% in fuel savings. Our leading-edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Dinosert's ability to reduce greenhouse gases provides long-term benefits to the environment. Dinosert trades on the TSX Venture, symbol DYA, and the OTCBB symbol DYFSF. The website is dinosert.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me my friend and partner, Chen Lin. Welcome, Chen. Thanks for joining me again. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate it. You know, you uh, both of your favorite bio- biopharmaceutical stocks have been uh, have become kind of quiet lately, uh, you know, very volatile at times. You can uh, really, really interesting things to watch, but they've sort of calmed down a bit now. And they're actually down a lot from their highs. Yet, if I understand you, you're really excited about both of them. So let me ask you to update my listeners on both of them. Starting with uh, Sarepta Therapeutics, uh, trading at around 1270 earlier today. I'm looking on the screen now. Sarepta, yeah, 1270 right now. In fact, it's a company with an apparent successful life-saving drug for young boys who have a form of muscular dystrophy. And I see that the F- FDA is actually getting in the way, it seems to me, uh, in terms of allowing this drug to be approved. You know, there's there's really, these boys have no choice. Uh, there's, there's really nothing to save them, essentially. And yet, this drug looks so promising. 
And uh, when the FDA has not really gone all out to support it, the stock has really taken quite a hit. Uh, but you see this as an opportunity. And in fact, you're telling your subscribers that you're loading up on uh, on Sarepta. Tell us uh, why you remain so optimistic about Sarepta. Do you think that finally the FDA is going to have to allow this drug to be approved? Or, or what, what is your thinking here, Chen? Yeah, thanks, Jay. Uh, good question. Well, Sarepta was trading at $40 just uh, a month ago, right? At that time, I told my subscribers to sell, right, to, to just to unload, to, to because I saw the potential FDA may be very negative on that, which they did. I mean, I've been trading this for so many years. I, I kind of know what FDA is thinking. Uh, I got it a single digit, by the way. Uh, so mm-hmm. the latest round of FDA is that they, the FDA division has very negative. They wrote a very negative briefing document. But if you read through the line, you know, the, the, this whole story of Sarepta, why it's so volatile, why it's so up and down, there's one party very much against it. That's a division of the FDA, right? The Fox said that he's a guy, he's an eye doctor, and but he, he hates uh, trial without uh, being the you know the, the placebo control trial, he hates that. He hates his uh-huh. control. That's that's him. He's been like that for the past many years. You can see his speeches. He's he made. It was like that. Okay, so every time the division say something negative, stock went down. I mean, every time the patients are working and then they talk to the FDA management, FDA management told division shut up or something. You know, quiet down. I mean, then the stock went up. It has been like that for many years in the past. I was able just to ride that, right, to buy low, sell high. Okay, Chen, let me me just stop you for a minute. It's a question in my own mind here. Uh, This this fellow at the FDA wants to see a placebo-controlled group, right? He wants to see Mm -hmm. one group getting the medication and one group not. Mm -hmm. Is that something that wasn't being done with with, uh, Sarepta's trials? Oh, the E was it's done only partially because uh-huh. you gave placebo is giving the child that that sentence. You see what I'm uh-huh. saying? So they only gave them for a um, short period. Uh, if I, I remember correctly, first twelve twelve week or twenty four weeks. I mean, they I gave, see. Gave placebo. Okay. And then they gave everybody the medication to you know. It's, you don't want to see the child dying, right? You don't want. I mean, he he doesn't like it. I mean, that, that that's sure. him. You know, uh, but but. You know that we, if they he got his own way, they will do another phase three trial, a very large phase three trial, and then takes another three four years to. So to, more to boys come. will die in the meantime. Yeah, I know he doesn't that's care, but it yeah. uh, doesn't matter. But the problem right now it's fact, fact matter of people's lives. Right? Yes. So there's a large protest, which I, well, I help a lot. I wrote to my senator, I wrote to my congressman. You see that congressman letter they wrote, he wrote back to me. Yes. And he already acknowledged that he wrote the letter, you know, for me and constituency because the election year, you know, and other people he wrote to the FDA about that. So uh, there's a strong push. But the reason is really is um, uh, there's a new law, right, for, called Pajusha. Pajusha require FDA to consider this situation, to give conditional approval, and then well evaluate the drug. That's the whole point. And then this guy focused on his division. He didn't care. He doesn't want to follow the new law. So that's basically the storyline. So bottom line, this is the bottom line, right? Uh, so since that come, there has been very strong protests. The Afghan got delayed because of the winter storm. And uh, FDA already missed their first promise, which is to schedule an outcome within one month of the original outcome. The, the consequence of that, uh, which I believe is FDA management talked to Farkas and his, um, his team, say, hey, you have to 
update your briefing document to correct all your mistakes. So I think uh-huh. there will be a new document will come out, and then we'll, hopefully it will be less negative, and then we have a shot. But market doesn't see it. You see the $40 stock drove all the way down to 10 11 which I tell my subscribers to buy, back up, load up the truck, right? I mean, now it's like a 1270 I mean, it's up a little bit, but I think uh, when we get closer to account, it could go much higher. Yeah, we should mention that the efficacy uh, on the on the trials so far, although somewhat limited compared to what the FDA would like, has been very positive, hasn't it, Chan? And also, uh, the side effects very negligible. Exactly, they had no yeah. side effect, and then it seems working very well. Only twelve patients, though, uh, but but it works, right? I mean, yeah. the, the patient, I mean, that they were like fourteen year old, fifteen year old uh, kids are working. I mean, All right, Chen, so this is, this is definitely one of your top picks, Sarepta Therapeutics yes. at this mm-hmm. stage. It's one that you've put, uh, you, you're over, uh, over, overweighted in your own portfolio. I, I think that's fair to say probably, right? Yes, exactly. Okay, so now Sorrento Therapeutics, and this is a company that has a, really a very deep portfolio of very promising anti-cancer drugs that, that should represent a huge improvement over current chemotherapy approaches uh, to treating cancer. Can you provide just really, really quickly perhaps an overview? What is the technology that, what does this technology do and how, what is it, how, why is it better than, than current chemotherapy uh, uh, technologies that are being used to fight cancer? Yeah, recently there's a breakthrough race called CAR-T. So basically using your own T-cell to cure the cancer. There's uh-huh. so many articles there. The people or kids are dying. Um, but then, you know, Emily White, if you Google her, you, you know, she was dying, suppose, has a few months' life, and then they put the CAR-T on her. She survived, and she's uh-huh. four, five, five, four, five years later. She's still living like a normal kid. So then there's no cancer trace, any trace of cancer in her body at all. So there's a, this is a breakthrough in cancer therapy. And uh, there's also different variations, uh, and, uh, you know, Sorrento is doing one of those. Uh, I think they, they're treating the liver cancer, as it seems to be, you know, late stage and doing extremely well. They, their patient will live for a few years already. Um, there's also another technology called Car Tank. But if the problem, you know, the thing is for biotech, same as a mining company, they need to keep raising money, keep raising money, and then dilute existing shareholder, right? So if Sorrento yes. has this, they come to this stage, they have phase three, they have phase two, then they have a preclinical, they have a very strong pipeline, they have 50 million uh, in cash, and then they're another about the 50, almost 50 million in security. So, so they have the, the, the cash and security is close to, to 100 million as of last quarter, and the market cap is only about 200 million, right? So, uh, the value of the rest is, uh, is almost uh, nothing in biotech mm-hmm. world. And so people think they're going to raise money, and, but the management told me, no, they are, they're not. They didn't talk to the major farmers, so hopefully they will sponsor them, their research going forward. So this is uh, clearly the, the market misperception. I think it worked in my favor. I always like those, those kind of situations. And yeah. I invest in that, and it potentially can go up a lot. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I think I saw you wrote recently that their burn rate is something like $10 million a quarter, so that would mean that they have enough money in the till now to last for a while. And then there might be some potential, I suppose. Uh, might there be a, a larger pharmaceutical out there, uh, potentially, that could come in and, and maybe um, want to do a deal with them? Is that a poss- possibility, Chen? Yeah, that's the management that I'm working on right now. So okay. That, that's All a right. key, key catalyst for the company. All right. So is it safe to say this might be your, your second most or one of your top 
picks. I guess Sorrento both, and, and both of them are my top pick. I mean, yeah. both of my, my, my uh, both both are overweight. My top You're overweight in both of those. All right. Yes, well, yes. just with a minute left now, I know you have some very strong feelings. You and I learned to know each other uh, because of our mutual interest in gold. And uh, what's this with you applauding uh, uh, applauding Goldman Sachs that's saying that gold's going down to a thousand? Oh no, I wasn't. I was just pleased. I was I was thankful to Goldman uh, because they they are dry, trying to drive down the gold. Uh, for me, I like to buy gold in around the summer. Right in in the past few years, over every year coming at summer and fall, I, I buy gold mining because that's usually the lowest part in, of the season, and I, I, I was able to survive and make money for me and my subscribers in the past few years in in this bear market, brutal bear market of gold. So. Uh, um, so my my point is right now is Chinese New Year. It's typical peak of the gold in seasonal chart. So if they go down a little bit, allow me to uh, to buy gold, you know, at a reasonable price, even if not lower. Plus the Sarapta, supposedly they're going to have a outcome in a month or two. I mean, so these things can Sorrento. So if Sorrento have a few months, have a lot of catalyst. So hopefully. You know, mm-hmm. I have a success on those biotech. As you said, I'm ready to buy gold miners. I'm looking All for right, so you're in, in my in my outlook. I was looking for 2017 at the bottom of gold, and then pass minus a year. So it could be this year, could be next year, could be the year after. But I'm looking very closely at gold miners. All right. Well, you're always uh, interesting to keep up with what you're doing, Chen. I want to thank you again for sharing your time with us and your thoughts as well. And folks, uh, go to miningstocks.com to sign up for Chen's letter miningstocks.com you won't be sorry that you did I think it's safe to say that at least if you really keep on top of what Chen and where he's focused that's what's really important uh, to do so thanks again Chen for being with us and we'll look to do it again sometime very soon thank you Jane all right folks we have to go to a commercial break but when we come back I'm going to be with Daryl McMullen He's the CEO of Bitgold. Really interesting story. We've had uh, Roy Sabag on to talk to us about this. Now we're going to talk to Daryl McMillan, McMullen, I should say, who was previously uh, with PayPal Canada. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Daryl McMullen. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Dynacert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by 30 to 40 percent, increase torque, and provide up to 15 percent in fuel savings. Our leading edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Dynacert's ability to reduce greenhouse gases provides long-term benefits to the environment. Dynacert trades on the TSX Venture, symbol DYA, and the OTCBB symbol DYFSF. The website is dynacert.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. 
That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Daryl McMullen. Uh, Daryl is uh, is the president and CEO of BitGold, and uh, he has driven successful new payment and co- commerce innovations for the past 15 years, including the launch and leadership of PayPal during his first eight years in Canada. And Daryl has worked closely both as an advisor and investor with entrepreneurs, developers, and industry partners to accelerate the growth of fintech payments and commerce experiences. And he has uh, provided uh, thought leadership and innovation expertise for the convergence of online, mobile, and offline into on one commercial stream with government, banks, and new fintech companies. And prior to PayPal, Daryl was a part of the successful launches of rapid growth of uh, eBay and Chapters Indigo uh, online uh, into leading commerce players. So I'm really pleased to have Daryl with me today. Thanks for joining me, Daryl. Jay, it's great to talk to you and a uh, pleasure to be here. It's uh, really great to talk to you, having had uh, experience of talking to Roy Sabag and James Turk in the past. Uh, so mm-hmm. Roy suggested, in fact, the last time we talked that I should have you on the show, so here you are. You have a, a very successful background, as, as I just noted, you with household name companies. What convinced you to join a little-known company like BitGold? <laughs> You know, it's funny, I, I've heard that a lot, and I kind of, I, I laugh every time I hear that, because I feel like this is, uh, this is actually my fourth time through this rodeo. Uh, you know, every company that uh, I've gone to, um, I saw the opportunity for them to change an industry. And, um, you know, I remember early on, you know, working with one of the very first e-commerce companies and explaining to people the notion of what e-commerce was, and people mm-hmm. didn't get it and get it at first. Um, and, you know, now obviously things like buying books online is a very, very simple process. Um, I remember explaining eBay for the first time to people who never heard of it before, this whole idea of gamifying used goods and, and being able to, um, you know, purchase online something. You're going to pay someone for their used goods and they're going to have it shipped to you. And it just seemed like a bizarre concept for people at the time. Um, and even PayPal early on, no one knew what PayPal was yet. And, and having to explain to people you know, this notion of an internet wallet that could transform and simplify how electronic payments could work at the time. Um, and I see no different here at Bitgold. In fact, I think the opportunity that presents itself in front of Bitgold is, is significantly bigger than any one of those opportunities that worked on in the past. Um, and it builds on a lot of things that have evolved over time. I mean, if you think of, of commerce in general, it's very different today than it was five years ago, and it's going to be very different um, from today, uh, five years from now. And I think uh, as the internet makes its way everywhere, all of that money that will move into kind of an electronic method, we're, we're looking at ways how to create the easiest way possible to be able to provide a true global currency. Well, I mean, that's really saying something. If you, if you think the opportunities here are even bigger and greater potentially than some of the places where you've worked before, I mean, we think of eBay and PayPal. These are giants. These are huge companies. <laughs> uh, they, they, made, they did make a huge difference in the way uh, we transact business and the way we live our lives even. Uh, you, you know, always whenever you have some sort of 
major breakthrough like this, there are people that are hurt. There are people that are helped. Um, who, who gets helped and who gets hurt in BitGold? Uh, well, we certainly aspire to be a true customer champion for consumers and merchants around the world. I mean, we have a lot to do to get there. We have a lot of work ahead of us, but we're very excited about the path forward. Uh, we believe we can be one of the leaders to enable the next generation of transactions for global commerce. Um, you know, if we think of, um, there's there's kind of three different things that, that Bitgold is, is trying to establish here, and I, I call it kind of a three-horizon framework. Um, you know, the first thing that we're looking at, in terms of just for your users who, um, who may not know or understand what what Bitgold is, so essentially we use technology to make access to gold very simple. So Bitgold is an online payments and savings platform that utilizes physical gold bullion as its, unique, uh, as its unit of account. So essentially what we're doing is we're taking the best of the old in terms of uh, money, and that being gold, and the best of the new technology um, in terms of mobile and cloud connectivity to create a very safe, secure global debit system that allows essentially anyone to efficiently store and exchange value using gold. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, you're, so you're basically, I mean, you're not just a commercial, you're not just a consumer uh, enterprise. You're also looking to for commercial uh, commercial transactions, for example, I know one that stands out in my mind that Roy Sabag, uh, a hypothetical, I guess, a hypothetical, I want to ask you about it, uh, an example that he gave me of why you reduce the friction using uh, gold money uh, in, uh, you know, in a BitGold account. He gave the example of, he said, let's suppose we had a, a tomato farmer in India who sold his tomatoes uh, to a grocery chain in uh, in Japan, and he went through. You know, he said all the needs of you know the sort of friction that you have in a normal transaction. The way things are uh, today, the way things are transaction, the way this transaction would be made is you don't need the Japanese grocer doesn't need to go to buy dollars from his bank, and mm -hmm. there's no need to have dollars sent from that bank to the farmer's bank in India. There's no need to take uh, the dollars in India and trans you know transfer them into uh, rupees. Uh, and there's no need to wait for two or three days for settlement. So you avoid all of those uh, friction points, I guess. Is that right? And, and, and is that, uh, that sort of commercial transaction something that is, uh, that is possible anytime soon? Yeah, so, um, yeah that's a, a good way of putting it. I mean, <clears throat> I don't know, Jay, either yourself or I'm sure a lot of your listeners at some point or another have, have had to make an international payment or had sure. to accept an international payment. Um, it's slow. It's cumbersome. <laughs> there's For some sure. additional. There's some additional risk, and certainly some additional cost associated with the whole process. So, um, you know, the first thing that Bitgold does is essentially attempts to take the the foreign out of exchange. So, um, by having a uh, essentially a closed loop system that's backed on one currency, you're using gold as a rail, right? So, there's a couple different ways of thinking of of Bitgold. You know, the very first thing that we've done is we've established a network that has reinvented the gold buying and selling process. So you can very mm -hmm. simply, anyone around the world can get onto the platform for free, um, connect uh, via their bank account or credit card, and be able to purchase physical gold very, very uh, seamlessly and effectively. But uh, maybe you don't care about gold. What you're trying to do is you're exchanging value with someone, as you kind of outlined an example there. Mm -hmm. And that can be a person-to-person -person transfer. So if you think of 
person-to-person uh, -person payments, we're, we're all becoming much more global citizens, right? We either mm -hmm, have sure. family abroad or we're traveling abroad. Uh, we're doing business more abroad. Um, you know, person-to-person -person payments, that's a $600 billion industry that's growing nearly 20% year over year. Mm. Um, and there's no kind of clear winner that's in that space. I mean, there's, there's the incumbents of like the Western unions and MoneyGrams of the world. And there's a lot of newer entrants like the TransferWise and World Remits and Zooms and all these different companies that attempt to create an experience to allow people to be able to move um, uh, personal payments. But they all kind of sit on top of the central bank stack, right? So mm -hmm. they're all kind of attempting to doing the same thing where you're going from currency X to currency Y and you're going through a crosshair. So you're having to pay some sort of a foreign exchange spread. And then you're having to pay some sort of money exchange service. To give you an idea, <clears throat> the average transaction size is about $200 for person-to-person -person payments, which sounds low, but you know, if you're, say, for instance, a Filipino nanny um, in, in North America and you're looking to send money back to the Philippines, $200 is a month's salary for someone mm -hmm. there. Sure. And so um, the challenge on moving that money, the average cost through all of these services today is about 7 to 8%. Mm -hmm. um, between the foreign exchange and whatever money exchange service you're using. Mm -hmm. um, and, so, and the reason why is there's just so many parties involved, right? You've got multiple mm -hmm. currencies, you've got multiple banks, you have multiple settlement systems, and an exchange service on top of that. If all I'm really trying to do is exchange value for someone, I mean, I just did it the other day with my sister. I have a sister in Australia, and it was her birthday, so I decided, uh, you know, instead of sending her um, uh, money through a traditional way, I sent her some gold. And how that worked is I, I bought gold in, with Canadian dollars. I send her the value of my gold, the BitGold platform. She can either choose to keep gold, or in this case, maybe she doesn't care about gold. What she cares mm -hmm. about is her brother sending her a few hundred dollars. Sure. And so she instantly can sell that gold for Australian dollars and, and move that back to her bank account. And um, that entire process, she can receive those funds for 1% and move that back to her cash. You can move gold on our platform from one person to another for free. So, so in the case of the nanny here, uh, if, if both sides were gold, had gold accounts, a gold, bit gold accounts, they could move it. She could make that payment for free. Correct. Correct. Okay. And so, and so uh, I'll use a, another example. I was talking with. I love talking to customers. I think it's fa fascinating. Almost every day, I, I discover a new use case and how people are using the platform. Um, probably two of the more interesting ones I've heard recently. One, um, a guy here in North America. He has his daughter going to private school in London. And, and I won't name the bank, but he works with one of the world's banks um, or a global bank. But even through that process, he sends money over to her every month for her housing and her private school expenses and stuff like that. And he gets dinged still 7%, the total landed cost moving money from, from North America yeah. to the UK. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. He, he got his daughter to sign up for a BitGold account. He has a BitGold account. He sends her gold that he has uh, for free, she has a gold money prepaid card that we offer to users that's linked to her BitGold account, and she can automatically spend that gold as British pounds locally for only mm -hmm. 1%. So you can, she can, he can now move money from point A to point B for, for 1%. For 1%. That's where then where BitGold makes its money? 
Yeah, BitGold makes its money. We, we provide a very seamless way to get into gold and to get out of gold. And, and essentially, the, it's a very uh, transparent uh, and simple pricing. It's 1% within the spot price of when you want to purchase from any currency into gold and 1% to move out of gold to the fiat currency of your choice. So what's your so what, let's get back to this hypothetical um, farmer, tomato farmer in India, uh, yep. selling his goods to a <coughs> grocery store in Japan. Is yep. is that uh, what sort of margins would uh, would Bitgold make a one percent on both sides of that trade? Correct. So I mean, and if, and how if does. I, if a, uh, there's a couple ways of looking at it. So if a person, or a, in that example, that's a business-to-business transaction. Sure. If, if neither one of them has a gold balance or want to have a gold balance, what they want to do is cost-effectively be able to move money from point A to point B. One person, uh, the, per, the person that's paying the invoice can um, buy gold for 1%, send the transfer, uh, if, if you want to compare that, let's, let's just use a traditional, how would that be done under a traditional format? Pretty much it doesn't matter where you go in the world. Processing a credit card is what, 2 to 3% roughly? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and then if you're doing a cross-border transaction, it might be an additional 1% fee or, or half a percent cross-border premium. And then someone is paying a foreign exchange conversion as well. So they're either... Um, Doing the um, you know the buyers having to convert their funds to the seller's uh, invoice or, or vice versa. So all in, it's usually about five to six percent to process the transaction. Mm-hmm. So with, with with this end here, if I have a gold balance, I'm just sending that for free. Uh, uh, then I, the person on the other end just wants to withdraw that money back to to, to their amount for one percent. Okay. All right. Well. Um so it seems as though you have a competitive advantage. I mean, that what seems what really sort of I'm a I'm a gold bug really, and and mm-hmm. so at first, uh, you know, what what excites me as an investor in uh, in gold money, the parent company of Bitcoin, what excites me is the fact that this has appeal to people who may actually hate gold. They may think that gold is you know that barbaric relic that uh, Keynes yeah. told us it is. Well, there's so, there's two things. There's people who love gold, and now we're adding all that utility that people said never existed as part of gold. So uh-huh. it actually makes it a true usable form of currency. Um, and then there are other people, and there are many people around the world, that have never really had access to gold like this before. And once they start discovering the capabilities that it has, they discover, I would much rather earn gold than my local currency. I mean, if you think of what, what money is supposed to represent, money represents your stored labor. Sure. Right? And, and if, if that's the case, I would certainly want to store my labor in a currency that preserves its value over time or minimizes my volatility. Uh, um, example, I was uh, in the fall, I was in Las Vegas at Money 2020, which is kind of the epicenter for innovation and, and, and payments around the world. Uh, in terms of a conference, mm-hmm. and I met this guy who was a who was a startup in in Vegas, and it was a funny story because I was walking along, uh, going to lunch with a, a an executive from one of the banks, and he saw me and he comes up and he hugs me and he's like, "You're you're one of the Bitcoin guys," I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, um, "I discovered your platform a little while ago. I'm a startup here in the U.S., but I have developers in Russia and Belarus and Chile and in Argentina." And I was paying them in their local currencies for their for their wages, and, uh-huh. you know, and you know, the, the, with the Russian ruble down thirty percent, the Chilean dollar down, 
um, you know, they're getting less value for their labor than they did even six months ago. Mm-hmm. And so they were complaining about that. And so I started paying them in U.S. dollars. And the problem with paying them in U.S. dollars is um, they still had to pay almost 10% to convert and be able to use locally. Mm-hmm. And he discovered our platform and he, he said to them, would you want to get paid in gold? And everyone's like, absolutely. <laughs> Why wouldn't I want to get paid? They, you know, these people get and understand around the world. Gold is very universal in terms of its, its understanding and its value and its preservation of wealth. Um, just the accessibility hasn't been there until now. Yeah, um, for sure. And so they, they're obviously seeing the, the benefit and being able to, to get paid in gold and earn their labor in gold. All right. So we're talking about an electronic payment system so far. If you get, get your gold in your BitGold Bit account, you can either cash it out, sell it, and, and exchange it into local currency. Uh, but you can also, as I understand, uh, Daryl, is that you can take delivery of the gold. And, and so let me ask you, in my BitGold account, when I transfer a buy gold and then put grams of gold in my bit gold account uh it's is it my gold and i can take possession of it if i like yep great question so when you're purchasing gold on our platform what you're you are buying uh, physical um gold bullion that is um stored in vaults we have vault locations around the world as a user you could choose where you want to have your gold do you want to sit in new york do you want to sit in toronto do you want it in london hong kong singapore dubai your choice um and when you own that gold you wholly own that gold so we have our customers gold in a separate cage it's not commingled with corporate funds or there's no counterparty we're not leaning or leveraging against any of that you wholly own that it is um uh the the uh, vault operations are run by brinks um i think that the beautiful part of this business is we're leveraging existing infrastructure but using it in a whole new way and so now you have physical gold that's sitting in a vault and you can instantly transfer that value to someone else. The physical gold itself doesn't have to move. The platform can exchange the value as to who, who it actually goes to. But if you, to your point, if you want to say, hey, I actually want a percentage of my gold or all of my gold in a physical form delivered to me. Um, so we do have uh, the, what's quickly becoming the famous uh, BitGold 10-gram cubes starting to be a bit of a a collectible item for people but um so you can redeem as little as 10 grams uh in that form but we've also announced a uh, recent relationship that has expanded that to provide all sorts of different items uh whether it be bars coins um you know whether you're looking for a canadian maple leaf or an american eagle or a cougaran uh, we can uh, facilitate the delivery of any of those items for you as well all right, and I suppose there's a charge, though, to have those specific products sent to you. I mean, what yeah, there's, would be the charge? Yeah, there, there's a, a shipping and insurance charge, obviously, that uh, it's managed. Everything's done using a courier service, so everything is tracked, and, and we obviously uh, monitor um, the ability to uh, transport those as cost-effectively as possible. Okay, um, how do I, let's, to get started, for listeners that are out there, if... Where do they go? They go to bitgold.com. How do they get gold into their BitGold accounts? I guess it's easy enough to open a BitGold account. Then what can you use? You can transfer money from your bank to buy gold, or how does it work? Yep. Yeah. So as a as a user, it is free to to sign up for a BitGold account. You can log onto the platform, and you know there's this journey that customers have with us where they log on for free. They understand. They start understanding how the process works. 
Um, they can use their credit card, their debit card, or they can link directly to their bank account or brokerage account and um, instantly uh, purchase gold in their currency and start building a gold position. Some people do it uh, opportunistically once in a while. Uh, what we've seen a lot of people start doing is set up a reoccurring deposit. Mm -hmm. So they just want to start building essentially an alternative savings account. They want mm -hmm. to be able to save and preserve their wealth. And so you can very quickly say, I want to move $50 a week from my bank account into my Bitcoin account and have that as kind of an alternative savings account for me. Or in some people, they're looking at it not as their alternative, but as their primary savings account. Mm -hmm. Um so, yeah, we, we connect with uh, many different form factors, like I said, to be able to move money in. And then we also offer someone the ability to not only move that back to their bank account, but we have a prepaid MasterCard. So you can instantly um, have access to your gold balance by selling any of your gold into the currency you want. So maybe, maybe you're... Um, uh, maybe you're based in New York, but you're traveling to Italy for a month. Mm-hmm and you have a gold balance, you can get a gold money card in euros, and when you're over in, in Italy, you can instantly sell your gold for euros and not having to pay the foreign exchange. You can go up to an ATM and actually pull out euros as cash. Um, you have that flexibility in how you want to have access to your funds. All right, Daryl, I know I have one of those bit gold, prepaid BitGold MasterCard, MasterCard accounts. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, and Mrs. Taylor was able to buy some perfume online yesterday using it. I was, however, not able so far to use it when I when I went to buy a tank of gas here mm. locally in New York City. Uh, and uh, the explanation I was given might be that uh, a lot of the gas stations just aren't taking prepaid cards. I think that that may be uh, that may be the case. Uh, is, is that something? I mean, how widespread can I can I take this down here in New York City and go to a restaurant and use it? Do I yeah, have I mean, I, I've I've traveled uh, with my gold money card. I've been throughout the United States, throughout Europe. Uh, and throughout here in Canada, and I've used it quite a bit. I mean, you know, certain merchants, for sure, from a risk standpoint, if you've never seen, if they've never seen that card before, or maybe they have certain policies on types of cards that they use or, or, or accept. Generally speaking, though, this is a is a Mastercard. So wherever Mastercard is accepted, it should be for the most part be able to be used. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time already. I can't believe it. But let me. Uh, I I am an investor as well in gold money, the parent company of Bitgold, and uh, <laughs> wanted to ask you something about that. Sure. Uh, there really isn't time much time left, but. Uh, a company like yours, you're going to be spending most of the cash flow that comes in probably to gain, uh, to, to let people know about your service, right? It's a marketing story as much as anything right now. When do you think investors might look forward to seeing some positive cash flows so you don't have to keep going back and raising cash, uh, raising capital to keep growing? Yeah, well, I think we're, we're actually very, very excited where we're at. So Bitgold obviously is very uniquely positioned to provide better technology, better economics, and a better payments experience for global commerce. Uh, we are less than a year old. We already have users in 150 countries with over 700,000 users. So there's, wow. there's more than 2,000 users that are joining the platform every day. So it's growing very, very fast and will continue to grow very fast with the vast opportunity in front of us. Uh, and we'll, um, but uh, we were excited as to the journey, as I mentioned earlier, as customers 
start becoming more and more familiar with us. They start off by saying, oh, I get it, I can buy gold very easily. Then they realize, oh, this is a much better way to save my wealth. So they start moving more and more money in a recurring payments down or recurring savings. And now we're starting to see the transactions take off. They're realizing, oh, this is just a better way to transact and whatnot. So the value within the ecosystem is continuing to expand. And, and one of the things we just launched this past week in a beta form is Bitgold for Business. Mm-hmm. So we are starting to open up tools for businesses to be able to invoice for their goods and services in right. gold and, and transact in e-commerce. So I, I expect to see an exponential growth in the value for each user and just in the overall network. All right. Really sorry we're out of time. We want to ask you and get you back again sometime soon so we can ask you more about yeah, uh, the potential for investors because that is also, I think, very, very exciting from my point of view. Thank you very much for being with us today, Daryl, and uh, again, look forward to doing it again in the near future. Well, folks, that's all the time we have. Next week, Jeff Deist, of, uh, president of the Mises Institute, will be with us, uh, formerly uh, chief of staff, Ron Paul. Uh, That's it for this week, so we'll look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 